Hello, I'm Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. You will notice the sound quality on our track today is not uh, what you have come to expect, but I assure you that neither one of us were exposed to a coronavirus in the recording of this podcast as we were able to both stay in our individual homes and use different technology to bring this to you. I hope you enjoy it. So Warren, today we're making a podcast in the middle of the uh, coronavirus, and it's really the very worst of times for some people who've lost their jobs and do not have any savings to fall back on. So I thought we titled this uh, podcast, Hope for the Worst of Times. How's that sound to you? That sounds very appropriate. It is a very unusual situation that we're in. Um, you know, so many people staying at home, people not able to go to work, people being laid off. It's a, it's a very unusual situation that we find ourselves in. It's not that we haven't been here before. It's just we haven't been here before. True. A hundred years ago, uh, with the Spanish flu, um, it depends on who you read as to how many people died, but, uh, Somewhere between 20 and 60 million people died. Really? Um, let's take an average of 40 million. Uh, the population of the world then was less than 2 billion. Now it's 8 billion. So if you extrapolated that, uh, we'd have to multiply 40 billion deaths by four, which means 160 million people would have died with the Spanish flu. Mm. that occurred on that. That's really staggering. Yes. And, and yet we lived through it. Um, well, not everybody did, but um, mm. and the world sort of resurrected itself after that awful calamity. So I'm not minimizing uh, our current pandemic. I'm just saying that uh, we need to look at perspective sometimes. Uh, you know that over 100 years, um, 500 million people died from smallpox. Mm. Um, we've eradicated smallpox from the earth, so that never needs to happen again. Anyway. So normally I call this podcast The Romancing of the Sinner. Uh, you'll understand why as we proceed uh, with the podcast. Right. So this, this is a very familiar passage in Scripture, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So we need to look at the context of uh, this familiar passage. You know, the uh, chapter divisions were only put in uh, by a certain Cardinal Corro in 1236 AD. So we've had them in for 750 years. Before that, the, uh, the books were all just one long book. And... Uh, Somebody said that uh, Cardinal Carter did this while he was on his horse, and sometimes he got the chapter division in the wrong place. Now, this is clearly one of those places. Hmm. So I want to back up to John 13, uh, to verse 34, a verse we all know. Will you read it, please, Bart? Sure. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, 
but you will follow later. Feed asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now the next verse is, let not your hearts be troubled. Wow. Do you see the connection? Yeah. You get, you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning at daybreak. But Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. In the midst of all this embarrassment and failure and uh, discouragement that's going to come upon you, let not your heart be troubled. It really, taking that flow and making it flow together just makes that statement mean so much more when Peter is being confronted with the fact that he's going to deny his Lord. And, yeah. and I'm sure when he did deny his Lord, he was reminded of, of this statement, don't let your heart be troubled. And it helped to, to soften the, the tremendous grief that he was experiencing. So this, this, I agree with you. This pandemic that's upon us um, is not something we cause. Well, maybe you caused it for yourself if you didn't stay at home. <laughs> but uh, Jesus is talking about uh, traumas we bring on ourselves by our foolish behavior and poor choices that we make. And in the midst of all that failure, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is actually a staggering uh, promise. So let's talk about what anxiety and discouragement does uh, to us. You want to read Proverbs 12, 25? An anxious heart weighs a man down, but kind word cheers him up. So we often focus on what the anxious heart does, and we forget about the antidote, but a kind word cheers him up. Now, this is the reason for uh, getting together as, as Christians, particularly, is to offer each other those kind words, uh, because at any given time, uh, we're carrying some anxiety in our hearts. So Luke 21, 34, uh, Jesus says, be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. The context here, Jesus is talking about the second coming. And so this is to be our attitude while we wait for the second coming. As we, yes, as we journey through life. Mm -hmm. Here's a parallel statement from Matthew, uh, taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? So, I don't know if you're there, Warren. Um, I'm not where Jesus is on this one. Um, you know, I'm retired, and every now and then I do a calculation to see if I'm going to survive financially before I depart this life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You're afraid you might outlive your money. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say it. Now look at what uh, he says in verse 32. This is really uh, horrible. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Like, if you're worried about all this material stuff, really you're a pagan in your heart. You, you don't know God. And I... <laughs> I wouldn't like to be called a pagan by you, Warren, but uh, I'll call myself that. <laughs> but I think what he's saying in verse 25, he's asking the question, is life not important than food? We, we worry about our food. We worry about our clothes. But he, he's the one that gave us our life. He gave us a body that needs to be clothed. 
if he can give us that, surely he could provide what we need. Uh huh. Now, now you're talking like a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to John 14 verse 1, Jesus continues, you believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish men and uh, what would they have believed about God? Well, firstly, they would have believed that uh, um, they were God's uh, favorite people, that he didn't care very much for non-Jews, but certainly for Jews, um, they were very special to God. They were in personal relationship with him. And that God knew them by name. Like they will say, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. And that they had the sense that they were precious to God and that God loved them and served them, especially they would like to think of uh, the Solomon era where they, were, they had peace on every side and Jerusalem had become the metropolis of the world. So that's what they believed about God. So Jesus now transports that and says, you believe that about God, believe that about me too. That I care for you just as much as God cares for you. Hmm. Now, he gets into verse 2. You want to read that, please? Sure. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. So this is extreme romantic language, Warren. Um, we don't always recognize it because we're not part of that culture uh, mm -hmm. that uh, was um, in Jewish uh, practice 2,000 years ago. When a young man discovered this universe and she agreed to marry him, he would say to his father, we need to add a room. Now, his father would understand what uh, his son was saying, because in an extended family, uh, when a young man found a woman that was agreeable to marry him, they would simply add a room on and then they would live in that room. Mm -hmm. And he would go with his friends when the room was ready to go and fetch his bride. And this would be a time of great celebration. There would be music and dancing and food as they brought her to the room that had been added onto the house. So this is the context for Jesus saying, in my father's house are many rooms. He's saying, listen, I want you to live with me in deepest intimacy. I have a place for you in my father's house. And I'm going to take you there and we'll be together for all eternity. And it's like he's almost uh, chiding them. If it wasn't like this, I would have told you. Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah. you get the romancing of the sinner going on here? Yeah, like it, it's it's like uh, um, almost a proposal. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Beautiful. It, it's like um, uh, getting engaged in our culture. Mm -hmm. you know, um, when you uh, go through that engagement process, Lots of things are being implied that are not being stated overtly. Like uh, when you hear somebody's engaged, you just automatically um, conclude that they're going to get married and they're mm -hmm. going to live together happily ever afterwards. Well, for most people, you think. Mm -hmm. so there are huge implications for Jesus talking about this in my father's house on many rooms. And then he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Yes. So. I want you now, you're married to Cheryl. Uh, imagine you built a room for Cheryl uh, before you went and fetched her mm -hmm. uh, to live in this room. How would you have prepared the room? 
Oh, I would have planned very carefully to have it just the way that she would want it. Really? Mm -hmm. Like, can you tell me something that would have been there that I would normally know about? Well, I, you know, it, it would need to uh, include a, a flower garden, a, a, you know, in the backyard, a place for her to, to grow things and to have a vegetable garden and a flower garden because she just loves yeah. to grow things. Uh-huh. So now I want to uh, switch this a little bit because Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's like he's implying that he knows you and he knows what really warms your heart. Mm. And somehow he's going to prepare the room yeah. for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe your favorite uh, painting or your a, a CD or a thumb drive with your favorite music. You know, I'm, excuse me, I'm just thinking in earthly things here because I don't know how else to think. Mm -hmm. I have the picture that hangs above my bed. And the story of this picture is that uh, my parents moved a lot, but whenever I visited them in the house they were now living in, I immediately felt at home. And of course, my parents were there, uh, but there, there was something more to it than just the being there. For instance, if I met them at a vacation site, I didn't feel at home. I was happy to be with them. And I kept trying to figure out what it, the trigger was that made me feel so at home. And eventually I decided it was the pictures on the walls mm. because although they changed uh, houses and places, they took their pictures with them and they hung them on the wall. And there was one in particular. Uh, it's of a, a colleague um, sitting on its hindquarters and it's looking down at a little toddler. The little girl's probably a year old or less. And she is approaching a cat that's rubbing itself against the front legs of this collie dog. Hmm. And that picture, uh, I remember from my earliest childhood and looking at it. So I relieved my parents of that picture <laughs> and brought it to Canada with me. And it hangs above my head. And sometimes when I go to bed at night, I look at it and I feel secure and safe and at home. Wow, beautiful. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very nice, very nice. So that's all I lead up to, Warren. In my room in heaven, that picture will be there. Mm. Yeah, right. Beautiful. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then he carries on in verse 3, if you read that. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Okay, now you've got it. He's, uh, he's right into this uh, betrothal, uh, engagement, and bringing this woman back to the room you prepared. It's all right there in the language. Mm -hmm. So in thinking about uh, how Jesus claims us, uh, I see two different ways that this happens. First of all, and, th and this is true in human uh, ways. Uh, can you remember, it's a long time ago when you were engaged to be married to Cheryl and how often you think of, thought of her mm -hmm. and what life would be like when you're together, how different it would be? Yes, I can remember that. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> No. Yes. So Jesus comes into our imaginations and he fires them up about who we really are as royal children of God. Now, it was good for us, but uh, imagine Diana Spencer, who's going to get married to the potential king of England. 
and what she thought about mm -hmm. as a possible future Queen of England. Mm -hmm. It's even better for us because we are now royal children of God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of the universe. And you, you have these statements uh, in Romans 8 and Galatians where uh, Paul says, by the spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. And in English, the equivalent would be Daddy, dear Daddy. We cry out to God with all the implications of being a royal child of the king of the universe. Mm. Yeah, that is, um, it really brings it to a different level, makes God much more personal. Well, sometimes I don't think we really get uh, the relationship that Jesus came to tell us about. Mm. Well, the second way he comes is to take us physically to be with him. Um, I'm talking about the second coming. And if you're dead, he resurrects you. <laughs> you know, the great classics of uh, the fairy tales. And the reason fairy tales are classics is because they are responsive to the deepest longings of our hearts. So you have Sleeping Beauty, who is in a coma, we would say that. Mm -hmm. And then the prince comes along and he kisses her and she wakes up. It's a way of talking about the resurrection. Mm. It's, first of all, the resurrection of our imaginations to, to start to comprehend who we truly are, but then also the resurrection of our physical bodies eventually, and so that we can go to be with our lover, Jesus Christ, in the room he has prepared for us. It seems that Jesus is trying to create a whole different picture because I think we tend to see God as our judge, and he's wanting us to see God as our father, as our daddy. Um, and and as our lover, he's he's you know he's got this place he's preparing for us. It's a very different picture, a very different uh, frame of reference to think of God that that we normally have. Oh, you know that Charles Wesley wrote the hymn "Jesus, Lover of My Soul," and his brother John Wesley, who was by then a bishop in the church, forbade the singing of that hymn in his church because he said it was too romantic. Wow didn't belong in church. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I used to really shy away from this um, romantic aspect of our relationship with Jesus. But I'm glad I got over that because it's so much more relevant because we are romantic beings and we understand God romancing our hearts. Yeah. There is um, a verse in um, Song of Solomon so it, it's, it's the idea that, that God is captivated with us. We always think that we should be captivated by him, but in, in chapter 4 and verse 9, um, it's God speaking to us. He says, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with the single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. And it's just a beautiful picture of, of God saying, I, I am captivated by you. Just the glance of your eye across the room makes my heart flutter. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's romancing us for sure. That's really a very appropriate passage to read. And uh, it is true that when we see God in all his wonder, uh, that he captivates our hearts. But we don't often, as you pointed out, recognize that if God loves us, 
for God so loved the world. Part of loving is being captivated by a grandchild or a child or your spouse. Yeah, it's right in there. Mm -hmm. right in there. So uh, here's some familiar scriptures uh, just to end off this podcast. This is Revelation 21, second last chapter in the whole Bible. It's the bookend to Genesis where we lost um, our perfect garden home and our perfect love for each other and for God. So here's the other bookend. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. I just want to pick up on one metaphor. There was no more sea. Mm. So John was separated from his friends by the sea. He was exiled on the island Patmos. Mm -hmm. So one meaning of there was no more sea means there was no more separation. But there's another meaning to there was no more sea. If you look in the book of Daniel, all these dreadful beasts which represent earthly kingdoms come out of the sea. And the beast in Revelation 13, the first beast comes out of the sea. Sea represents turbulent, restless, wicked people. And so when John makes that statement, there was no more sea. It's equivalent to saying there's no more wickedness. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's very uh, appropriate. But he's saying that we we're not only are we back where we belonged, but the, the evil is all gone. Yeah. And now the fairy tale comes true. Mm -hmm. and they lived happily ever after. Right. Yeah. So, Warren, we have a vision of God's tomorrow that is also today. And because of that vision, we cope with the troubles of today. Right. Yeah, it, it enables us to have a, having the picture of God that Jesus had enables us to deal with the, um, the frustrations that we are placed in here on this earth. Psalms 23 has become quite uh, appropriate, uh, meaningful for me during this time of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And wrapped up in that simple statement, I understand that God knows me, loves me, and has prepared all things for me. And if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will accompany me. Mm -hmm. I'm of good courage. There is a story that I heard of a, um, a, a man that was a, a salesman, and he was on the road traveling, and he got a call from his wife. And uh, she said, honey, you need to you need to head back to the airport and come home immediately. Our grandson was um, has been injured by his the, the, the man that her, their daughter was living with. And he's on life support and you need to get home before they take him off life support. And um, and so he turned around and he headed back toward the airport and she had called ahead and made a reservation, made a got a ticket for him to be able to come explain the situation to them. And but it, the traffic was heavy and it took him longer to get back to the airport than he expected. And, and it was 
so backlogged in, in the security that it took him a long time to get through. And so by the time he got to the gate, he was sure that the plane will have left already, but he went anyway. And when he got there, the flight attendant said, are you the grandfather that is in a rush to get home to see your grandson? And he said, yes, I am. She so said, come with me. And so she took him and, and there was the, the pilot, the captain of the flight. And uh, he said, are you the, the grandfather that needs to get home? He said, yes, I am. And he said, listen, he said, uh, I'm the captain of this plane and these are my flight attendants and they're not going anywhere without me. And I'm not going anywhere without you. And they held the flight until he could get there. And, and this passage of, uh, that we've looked at today is like Jesus telling us, you see these angels, they're not going anywhere without me and, and I'm not going anywhere without you. That's hmm. a comfort, yeah. an inspiration. And it's, it's, a vision. It's, it's, the, it's the inspiration that enables us to keep heart. Um, that's so important in, in challenging times. So let us pray. Dear God, we pause in your presence for a few moments and remember how wonderful your interest and your love is in us and that you care for the sparrows and the flowers of the field. How much more do you care for us? And we journey in this day in that certain knowledge. And our hearts are warmed, our minds are inspired. Our bodies are energized because of you. We worship you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to contact us, you can at Rediscovering God on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email to rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. We are encouraged to hear how this picture of God is making a difference for you. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can leave a review or rate the podcast so that others will become more aware of a God that is love as revealed by Jesus Christ. Thank you.